Welcome to Because You Need to Know, recorded live at the Cohen Multimedia Studio at Chautauqua Institution. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Joining us today from Australia is Dr. Arthur Shelley, and he is internationally acknowledged as a knowledge thought leader. He is also recognized as a capability development project manager and community builder. He has authored three knowledge and behavior related books, several book chapters for collaborative book projects, and a range of peer reviewed research articles. Is it dark where you are? Uh, yes, right now, uh, you know, 15, 15 hours in front. Yep. So it's actually dark and tomorrow. Yes, it is. Uh, good morning from tomorrow. <laughs> Tell me exactly where you are. Uh, we're in uh, Melbourne, Australia, which is in the uh, southeast corner. Uh, it's a beautiful city that grew up in the goldfield uh, times. So um, lovely wide streets, a very European city for Australia. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely location. Well, thank you for getting up that early to be here tomorrow, today. My pleasure. We're, we're, we're always working in the future here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So in that idea of how organizations or individuals actually, I mean, what's the heavy lift for knowledge development, knowledge conjuring, yeah. knowledge yeah, sharing? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. Thanks, uh, Edwin. I, the, I talk about knowledge succession, which is not just transfer of knowledge, not just passing on of what we know now, but the, you know, sort of jumbling it all up in real contexts looking forward say, well, okay, we, we know a lot of stuff and the more perspectives we can bring into a conversation, uh, the more we can actually co-create new knowledge uh, that will then apply currently, but also even more importantly, different ways of doing the future. So using adaptations of current knowledge to mm. strategically plan forward, uh, which will then create new things. So is it simply just innovation? It sounds like innovation. It, it, it is. It's certainly a driver of innovation, um, uh, but it's 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 deliberate, divergent thought to drive creativity, rather than just saying you know this is a, a minor. Uh, like if you look at the innovation work, you've got incremental innovation or or total, mm -hmm. you know, uh, revolution almost. It's not just making minor shifts; it's making major change. People talk about transformations. Mm -hmm. You know, once upon a time, you would do a transformation every so often, but right now the world is changing so quickly, uh, driven by AI, machine learning, big data, you know, all of these things. The change is so fast that you've got to constantly be learning, uh, which is development of new knowledge mm -hmm. and applying that almost in real time. So is the critical behavior of an individual adaptation? Oh, definitely. I mean, is that is that how organizations would be hiring for the next 10 years? Is that how good, are, how you know, give them a test on how well they adapt? Without, yeah. It's like, right, how much how much weight is in the resume now? Oh, no, 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 absolutely right. And in fact, uh, funny you mentioned that. I mean, literally yesterday, I had a meeting with a, uh, um, a major recruiting organization and we were talking about ways of assessing adaptability. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. So, you know, it's incredible that you picked up on that so quickly. Like I've written 
two uh, books that are related to this, but they're two separate books. One is The Organisational Zoo, which uh, looks at behaviour and individual behaviours and how, you know, culture is mm-hmm. uh, can be deliberately formed through which behaviours you accept or reject and where they fit in the hierarchy. And the reason for breaking down the individual behaviours is so that you can consciously be adaptable. Right. So you can say, well, okay, I was behaving like this, but now I need to behave like that. And that changes so quickly. You, you, you can't just kind of fit in anymore. You, you've got to be consciously saying, no, 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 no. You know, yeah. like a, f- a good example would be, well, we were doing a, a brainstorm, uh-huh. but we've already generated a thousand ideas. What we need to do is now to switch our behavior into critical mode uh, and, and, and to agree with each other. Because so I'm still trying to generate ideas and you're still, you know, trying to, you're saying, well, I've got enough of that. I need to move forward. So we need to adapt our collective behavior as well as our individual behavior Mm -hmm. then knowledge succession is well how do you be adaptable in what you do in order to stimulate those conversations and to be in the same mindset at the same time you know are we being divergent and trying to create whole new ideas or are we being convergent and focusing in to generate sort of a an output right here and now Mm -hmm. and when we do that we we co-create new project ideas so, you know, it's like, oh, no one's ever thought of that before. Okay, so how do we actually make it happen? Yeah, but you're, you're, you're talking about a whole, it, it's almost like a mystical place, the way you're t- describing this. It's because all I can think of is that in most organizations, there's an overlying or underlying fear base to try anything new. So most, most organizations and individuals would have a tendency to hold close. Oh, well, I don't, I don't know. We better not try that because they're afraid of getting dumped on when it fails. You're hundred percent correct. But that's why most organizations are, are dropping out and the organizations that are doing this are now, you know, the market leaders. I mean, you think of, you know, a smartphone mm. uh, compared to, you know, a smartphone's a very complicated computer, right? compared to, you know, what used to be a a, a laptop even five years ago. Right. When we used to do, you know, sort of computer systems upgrades in in the 1980s, the 1990s, it was a major, major thing. Oh, my God, we've got to change the version. Oh, you know, uh, we've got change control. You know, don't, you know, don't mess up. We've got months of planning, et cetera, et cetera. Your smartphone gets updated across a whole range of different applications every night. And unknown to the user. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There's no impact for, yeah, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. So, you know, it. we're living in this, uh, um, well, the U.S. military used the term VUCA, you know, sort of uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, uh, and ambiguous. We live in these VUCA times, and they used that to train uh, soldiers to make decisions in, you right. know, in the field where it is volatile, complex, ambiguous, and, and you know, uh, a- ambiguous. And so how do you make decisions when things are constantly changing and constantly emerging? Mm-hmm. So built into this, you've got, you know, emergence, complexity science, you know, decision-making, reflective practice, sense-making. All of these things are going through your head at the same time. So all of these fields that have fueled or supported knowledge management for so long uh, but the mindset of knowledge management is preserve what we have. Uh-huh. But, but now we're saying, no, no, in a VUCA world, we, yes, of course, we've, we've got to use what we know. Right. But sometimes what we know gets in the way, you know, because it's, it's 
no longer valid because the circumstances have changed so dramatically. Have all changed, yeah. right? And there's there's probably a personality trait that wants to defend the past, right? They wanted to, oh, you know, there's a reason why we made that decision. And there's a reason why we have this software or hardware, you know, and there's like a protective coding because they don't want anybody to get a black eye out of this. Everything you just described to me sounds like leadership. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, everything is interdependent, right? I've created a, a diagram that has 60 elements, all of which are completely interdependent. So, you know, if you if you look at that, you've got leadership, you've got uh, knowledge, you've got succession, you, you, you've got uh, education. So to me, uh, a great leader is someone that has willing, intelligent, followers. So why those two adjectives? Uh, you're not a leader unless people actually want to follow you. Yeah. You can say, well, I'm in charge and you have to do what I yeah. say. Right. And, okay. You may be a leadership in position, but certainly not in behavior. And to me, it's about the behavior, but then, so that's willing, but why intelligent? Well, because I want someone who's a critical thinker, you know, and if you look at world economic forum, critical thinking is now, you know, the number one future skill. Uh, critical thinking is one. Uh, actually, interestingly, uh, um, solving complex problems too, the, um, and creativity, number three. And will they say managing people as four? Well, I say leading people. You don't manage people. You lead people and you, you, you manage issues or problems or risks or whatever, mm. or tasks. Um, but, but you take those four things together and, and that's you know, great leadership. How do you yeah. uh, not tell people or control people, but how do you engage people to get them to collaborate? How do you get them mm -hmm. to consciously make decisions? Oh, this is really good. I want to be part of it. So, you know, we have engagement issues. Well, we've got a engagement issues because many so-called leaders, I would call them managers, have not moved into that adaptable, inclusive, you know, ecosystem yet. Because I know what you're saying, because you can see personality types, regardless, somewhat regardless of age sometimes, uh, that have those different traits of good leadership, uh, of being able to bring people along with them and, in, and engage them in a way where they feel self-empowered or they are self-empowered to participate, right? To engage in whatever that role is that they're in versus being drug along and pummeled about the head to to comply. A hundred percent correct. The idea. This is why the adaptability is so important. Um, it's why the openness, the divergent mindset to say, well, okay, you know, uh, like like uh, management thinking is very convergent. So it, it it's a what do we know? What's the situation? All of the tools that get taught in in business schools. You know, like I ran the capstone course for an executive MBA program for for a number of years, and my focus is to change that mindset from, you know, just mm. apply this tool and and you'll get the answer. I mean, I mean, what kind of rubbish is that? You know, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 where are we? You know, so, so management is, is, is convergent. It starts with everything that we know, process, et cetera, tools, et cetera, and brings it to a point an output, a decision, a, a project or whatever it is. Some sort of action. Yeah. But, yeah. but le leadership is saying, here we are right now. Where are we going? What's relevant? What's not? What what right. what assumptions have we made, or what knowledge have we had of the past that is no longer relevant? It's looking outward and opening up. 
Mm. Education traditionally has been uh, um, about filling minds. Yeah, sorry, op- yeah, filling minds with stuff. Just like KM used to be filling systems with content, right? But real education for the future is about opening minds, not filling them. And you know, the more we can get people to understand, you know, what they need to think about that hasn't been done before. Now, that doesn't mean that management is is gone. Once you've decided a whole range of new options, you then need to implement them, which requires management. So it's, yes, right. Yeah, so it's both. We. The problem you, you said, well, is it is it an attitude problem of the people that are the current leadership positions? To a large extent, yes, uh, because they got to where they are mainly by management, yeah. And and they they say, well, you know, I've been really really successful doing this, so they've built a great degree of confidence around how they do stuff. Mm-hmm. What the problem with that is, it reinforces those behaviours, and when they get to leadership positions, they can't change that behaviour easily. That don't change. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So what's the uh, what's the future? Because you, you're talking about things that drive me and behavior modification, behavior leadership, knowledge uh, flow organizationally and individually. And in my experience, there's always a percentage, be it small, but there is a percentage of automatic light bulbs when you start talking with folks that get this. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the percentage, they don't get it. They don't get the the power of what knowledge management can bring uh, because it is an awareness thing. It I totally agree with that. You have to be aware to be uh, really fully engaged or at least partially engaged. You have to be aware. So what's the future of how organizations are changing? Uh, holacracy is a new model for engagement in a, in a process-oriented way of doing things in an organization. That excites me because it kind of de-emphasizes certain o- old architecture of organizations to a new way. It, it's painful. It's a slow process, but it is a different way that I think takes the um, emotional ties of getting stuff done and who's in charge and, and all that kind of rigmarole. But what's knowledge management going to be for, for you? Where do you see the future in five, 10 years? Yeah, no, that, that's very interesting. And, uh, uh, right now I'm, I'm running a, um, master of project management program that, uh, um, is for project managers and the, the unit I'm, I'm doing with them right now at, at the moment is, uh, is knowledge management in a project context. And to me, well, what, what I shared with them, uh, um, well, what is knowledge management? And it's very different for different people, right? And that's okay because, you know, people have different circumstances. People need to do use knowledge in different ways. The first thing is you've got to think of knowledge as an intangible asset. If I said to you, I'll sell you Google, um, but you get all of the hardware and none of the people, you go, well, you know, it's all about what's in their heads, right? It's all about the culture they created. It's all about the relationship and the way in which they operate. So the hardware is really worth nothing. It's the software that's, well, nothing compared to, you know, the the knowledge in people's heads. So when I talk about, you know, the future of knowledge, I, I talk about leveraging, socializing and applying intellectual assets in context to co-create mutual and sustainable value. Mm. But in addition to that, you know, it's about stimulating learning and building capability. 
we used to do projects for the thing that the project was about, like upgrade the system. We now have an upgraded system. We built a road or a bridge or a building or, you know, we've got a new model of a car or whatever it is. That, that was a project. Um, and we would look at the output of that, the tangible physical thing that came out of it. But the most important thing that came out of that project was the new capabilities and the learning mm-hmm. so and the relationships and the trust. You and I have worked together on this podcast. It's a, it's a mini project, but we've come to know each other a little more. We've shared a few more things. And it's, it's that connection between the people that enables the knowledge to flow. When people work together in a, in a, in a challenging, trusted project, what they do is they, they build a stronger relationship. They work better next time. They will also have this relationship. So even if they don't see each other for a couple of years, when they reconnect, they will share stuff that they wouldn't share with other people who they don't trust. So that whole ecosystem is what knowledge management is about. If you create, I I wrote about, and this is freely available Mm -hmm. online, uh, I wrote about a thing called applied social learning ecosystems. If you can create those ecosystems, people feel included. They have a sense of, identity and belonging to them they want to connect like like your listener community you know they come and they listen to what it is that you are sharing with them and they feel part of it. oh yes i you know edwin's mm-hmm. podcast from you know dave or or or, uh, or stan or you mm-hmm. know uh, april you know these people that you've had conversations with yeah. they want to be part of those conversations you you speak about inclusion right knowledge management is inclusion you know the autocratic method of management mm-hmm. is more exclusion of knowledge because it's a it's channeled and owned so to speak and uh yeah i i like that very much if you imagine two triangles uh sitting on top forming a total square so management is about you know you've got a high side uh which is the broad things the knowledge that you currently have coming down to the point on the left that's management so you've got this triangle that starts broad on the left and ends in a point on the right If you then layer over another triangle of identical shape, but starting at a point at the top left and going out broad, that's leadership. So it's starting at the point and leading out uh, through this, you know, uh, unstructured, complex uh, uh, environment to a whole range of new options that didn't exist at that initial point. Getting the balance between the two of them, knowing when to lead and when to manage you know, you don't want to be going out thinking a whole range of new possibilities in a, in, in a crisis. You need to act, right? You know, that's basically uh, mm. Dave Snowden's Kinevan framework. But equally, you don't want to be trying to push a square peg into a round hole because we know that that's the answer because we haven't thought of a new way forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and understanding that dynamic is really important. It's like surfing. It's like surfing. You got to find that balance that keeps you on the board and moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And the right wave, right? Sometimes you just got to let let that wave go. You got it, yeah. man. You got it. That's That's well said. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a blast. Uh, yeah, my, my, my great pleasure. I mean, uh, you know, I, I talk about, you know, stimulating uh, provocative conversations to create these ecosystems and then seeing what comes out of that as a, as a project to create capability. That's really the essence of what we're talking about here. That is how we use knowledge to create better futures and better value for as many people as possible. Thank you. Well said. Thank you. 
Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.